Hey, good morning. How's everyone this morning? If you're new here and we haven't had a chance to meet yet, my name's Gary. I'm one of the pastors here. Welcome to the meeting place. I've heard a couple of people say, are we giving that car away at the end of the series? And it's like, I don't even know whose car it is, but I want it. Uh, Hey, we're continuing on in our series dashboard, uh, where since the beginning of June, we've been exploring how just like uh, the dials and the lights and the gauges on the dashboards of our cars and our trucks uh, indicate how the engine is running, how things are going on under the hood, uh, we too have indicators in our lives that show us how things are running here under our hood, so to speak. If you've missed any of those messages uh, over the last couple of weeks, you can catch up online. I'd encourage you to do that. Last week, our first week back here, so this is week number two. Uh, yeah, it was, it was awesome last week, wasn't it? Yeah, it was packed in here. Uh, we looked at something relatively new to the dashboard, and that was the navigation screen. The thing that shows us where we're going and where we've been. And what we did is we used that as a metaphor to look at where we've been as a church but more importantly, where we're going as a church. And we unpacked our new vision and our new mission. Our vision is to be a church that is known for unleashing God's extravagant, outrageous, ridiculous, uh, uh, unfathomable love on this city. And our mission is simple. We just simply want to equip people to love God and love others every day, everywhere. That's it. That's all we want to do. What that looks like exactly, we don't know. But that's what makes it exciting. And we're really glad you're here with us as we continue on. Today, we're looking at... A rather important gauge on the dashboard, the gas gauge. A few years ago, my wife and I bought a boat. Okay, I bought a boat, and she was with me when I bought it. And I told her we could take the kids skiing and water skiing and wakeboarding and tubing, but fishing too. And so one summer day, shortly after buying this boat, it was a beautiful summer day, and I thought, hey, you know, we should take the kids, go out in the ocean, pack a lunch, and so that's what we did. Loaded up the boat, headed down to the boat ramp down by the BC ferries there at Departure Bay, and off we went. It was flat calm out. It was just like a lake on the Strait of Georgia. And so we headed out of Departure Bay, hung a left, and we took off to Hornby Island. And this boat was pretty quick. It wasn't going the speed that I'm normally going a fishing boat, like eight miles an hour. This thing was like 50 miles an hour. And within an hour, we were at Hornby Island. It was great. And we checked out Ford's Cove, Tribune Bay. We went around Denman Island. Then we whipped over to Texada Island and went down the west side of Texada and around Laskiti. And I thought, you know what? When we go back to Nanaimo to head home, we got to stop by Harmac. And check out all the sea lions. I don't know if you've been down there where the sea lions are hanging out on the log booms. You can get right up and they'd lean right in your boat. And I thought, hey, the kids would love that. So that was the plan. Just before we got to Harmac, it was just around Duke Point, the engine started acting up. It would kind of surge and then sputter, you know, and boof, it just died. And there we sat in the middle of the ocean. My wife, of course, looks at me and she says, what's wrong? That's when I had to swallow my pride and inform her that we, collectively, and everyone in the boat, had run out of gas. (laughs) Right? Now, in my defense, the gas gauge in the boat was bouncing back and forth every time we went over a wave. It would go empty, full, empty, full. So I just kind of split it down the middle and figured, ah, we got half a tank. We ran out of gas. And it didn't matter how we got there. We were stuck in the middle of the ocean. 
And I'm sure some of you, as I share that story, can think of a story of your own where you ran out of gas or the vehicle you were in ran out of gas. Uh, and regardless if it was because of a faulty gauge or if it was just because you were ignoring the signs, you know that little gas light that comes on? It says you've got like 20 kilometers left and you should have stopped at the gas station. That's 20 kilometers that way. Uh, in a similar way, when we finally run out of gas and we find ourselves at the end of the road, a lot of times, at the side of the road, a lot of times, the same thing happens in our personal lives. We just run out of gas. And it's because our hearts are much like a gas tank. And when our hearts are full, we can accomplish a lot. We can cover a lot of ground. We can face the challenges that come at us throughout the day. We can get lots done. We can endure different circumstances. But when our hearts are empty, things begin to change. Small challenges suddenly become monstrous, seemingly immovable objects. Our outlook and perspectives on life begin to shift and sour. Negativity seems to rule the day. Our fuses get shorter. Our patience get thinner. And if that goes on long enough, we begin to lose something that is vital to life. It's called hope. Hope. What is it exactly? Well, if I had to give it a working definition, I would put it like this. Hope is the expectation that we put on or in a person or a thing. It's the expectation that we put on or in a person or a thing. Because we all put our hope in something. Some of us have our hopes in our job, hoping that it'll come through for us, provide us with what we need. Some of us put our hopes in our relationships. Some of us put hopes in money, investments. We hope we'll get an inheritance and that'll fix things. Sometimes we even put hope in ourselves, our, our abilities, our smarts, our talents. And we'd be remiss if we forgot promises. How many of us here haven't put hopes in a promise? Promises of a promotion, a raise, the promise of love until death do us part. Now, when you came in here this morning, all of us, we came here with our hope placed in something. The question is, what or who is it? What are you placing your hopes in? You know, who or what are you expecting to be there for you? To come through for you when you need them or it most? Who do you expect to understand and support you? What do you think will get you through if you, if you were to lose your home, your health, your job, or even a loved one? I would suggest, and I'll just throw this out there for you to consider, that most of us couldn't answer that question. And here's why I say that. Because we don't think about hope until things begin to feel hopeless. You know, other than right now, because I mentioned it, when is the last time you thought about hope? I mean, we talk about it a lot, but that's not the same thing. I mean, we, we, we say things like, oh, I hope she or he likes me and will ask me to the dance. I hope we get a seat. I hope it doesn't rain. I hope we get tickets to the concert. Paul McCartney's coming in July, I heard, and I want tickets. I think my wife's sitting over there. Just saying. 
I hope I get accepted in the university. I get the job. We talk about hope, but we often don't think about hope. Until things begin to feel hopeless. And when do those feelings come? When the people or things that we've placed our hope in don't come through for us. Victor Frankl. He was a Holocaust survivor who survived a series of Nazi concentration camps. And he went on to be a world-renowned psychologist. And he wrote a few books. And one of them was called Man's Search for Meaning. And it has had a profound impact on not just modern psychology, but also on millions of people who have read it over the years. And in his book, Victor tells a story. A story of a man named Frederick who was in, in a concentration camp with him. But Frederick was a Jewish block warden. And because he was a block warden, Frederick had a few extra limited privileges that most other prisoners didn't have. And one day, Frederick approached Victor and he said, Hey, Victor, I, I want to tell you something. He says, I have had a strange dream. And in my dream, a voice told me that I should ask for something and I would be granted whatever I asked. And do you know what I asked for? I asked to know when the war would be over for me. So I would know that day, this camp, I would be liberated from it and I could go back home to my family. Victor looked at him and he said, well, when did you have this dream? And he says, last month in February. It was then the beginning of March. And intrigued, Victor asked, he said, so what date did the voice tell you? And Frederick replied, March 30th. When the old man told Victor of the dream, his face lit up with hope. Convinced that the voice in his dream would come through for him. That he would be liberated and freed and be able to go home to his family. But as that day approached, that promised day grew closer and closer. The news reaching the camp about how the war was progressing made it pretty clear that they wouldn't be freed on that day. On March 29th, Frederick suddenly became ill, running a high fever. On March 30th, the day the voice told him he would be liberated and that the war would end and the suffering would be over for him, he became delirious and lost consciousness. March 31st, Frederick was dead. From all outward appearances, it looked as though he had died of typhus, an infectious disease transmitted by lice and mites and rat fleas, thought to be responsible for the deaths of countless prisoners of war. Frankel, however, believed he had witnessed a man die of hopelessness. And this belief grew when he observed an experiment that the Nazis performed on some of the prisoners. They, had them, they selected a group of the strongest and most healthy pr prisoners and had them engage in a simple but entirely meaningless task. Their job was to move a pile of massive heavy rocks by hand from one side of the camp to the other. And when they were finished, they were to pick them up and take them back to the other side. And they would just continue to do this throughout the day. Hour after hour of 
back-breaking labor. Within a few weeks, men began to fall sick. And shortly after that, only a few of the men on the original work crew were still alive. Frankel was discovering the truth of what the writers of the Bible had discovered thousands of years before about the effects of hopelessness on humanity. Listen to these words found in the Old Testament in a book called Proverbs. The writer says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. But a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. Taking away hope from someone is like pronouncing a death sentence. When people run out of hope, when that person or the thing they have placed their hope in doesn't come through for them, many people just give up and die. So the question remains, in what or who are you and I placing our hope? You know, the Bible's full of stories of people who faced circumstances that appeared hopeless. One of those people was a, an Old Testament prophet, a guy named Jeremiah. Now, a prophet was simply a spokesperson for God. God would give them some words to say. Sometimes they were popular. Sometimes they weren't so popular. But they would go and they would just say, hey, this is what God's told me. And they would share that. And out of all the prophets that are written about in the Bible... Jeremiah's life as a prophet was probably the most difficult. He preached for 40 years. Think about that. 40 years without one person responding positively to his message. Not one. He was persecuted by his own fellow countrymen at every turn. He was laughed at. He was ostracized, ignored, beaten, and at one point thrown in a pit left to die. And if that wasn't bad enough, on top of all of that... Jeremiah witnessed firsthand as the Babylonian army, the most fierce, fiercest, brutal army of the time, came and laid siege to his home city of Jerusalem. And as they did it, they killed most of the people that lived there. And after the bloodbath was over, Jeremiah walked through what was left of the place he called home. All through the carnage and the wreckage, and then as he reflected back on that day, he wrote down his feelings. What was running through his mind as he made his way through the streets of rubble and stepping over bodies of the people he once knew? And all those thoughts and feelings that he wrote down are now found in, a Bible, in the Bible, in the Old Testament, in a book called Lamentations. So named and aptly named because Lamentations means to weep. And that's exactly what he was doing. Here's some of what he wrote. He said, I cry out. My splendor is gone. Everything I had hoped from from the Lord is lost. The thought of my suffering and homelessness is bitter beyond words. I will never forget this awful time as I grieve over my loss. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever asked God for something that you wanted desperately or something that you wanted to change and you didn't get what you asked for or things didn't change? Man, I know I have several times. You know what I've discovered? That 
when that happens, when I ask God for something that I, I truly desire, you know, a good thing, like, could you just, can I just get this? Or could you make this happen? And it doesn't. I, I get disillusioned. I get confused. Sometimes I even get angry. And then what I do is I, I start complaining. And I let God know exactly how I'm feeling. You read the verses that come before the verses we just read. That's Jeremiah getting up in God's face. Letting him know exactly how he's feeling, how upset he is, how angry, how disappointed, how disillusioned. Because life wasn't rolling out the way he thought it should. You know, I, and you've been there. I, we've all been there. You survey the wreckage of your life, the decisions you've made, the things that have happened or not happened, and you think, this is not the way I p- pictured it going. And slowly what happens is hope begins to drain away. And so the question is, now what? What do you do with that? Listen to these words of Jeremiah. Despite the circumstances he finds himself in, walking through the carnage of this ruined city, in the face of all that destruction, he writes this. Yet I still dare to hope. Yet I still dare to hope. What beautiful words, those three words, dare to hope. And maybe you're here this morning and those are the three words you need to hear the most. That despite, in spite of your circumstances, whatever you're facing at the moment, whatever's pressing in on you, whatever's weighing you down, whatever's draining your hope, as you walk through the rubble, maybe it's possible that you can dare to hope. And I hope that's true. And here's how we do this. Jeremiah writes, he says, Yet I dare to hope when I remember this. What does he remember? That the faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh every morning. I say to myself, the Lord is my inheritance. Therefore, I will, and don't miss this last part, hope in him. You see, it's interesting that the land Jeremiah is walking through, the land that Jerusalem was built on, was on a piece of land called the promised land. So named because God promised it to his people as an inheritance. And what had happened is the people began to put their trust and their hope in the land and in themselves. And when the city was overtaken and fell, so did their hope. Because it was placed in something that could never, ever come through for them. I will hope in him. Only God is capable of replenishing the hope that the world can drain from us. And it's reflected in the words of the Bible and the New Testament, a book called Romans, where it says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope. And this, this hope is spoken about all through the pages in the Bible. 
And it's often referred to as what is called a living hope because it's linked directly to a resurrected living Savior, Jesus. And it's what the Bible means when he says, Praise be to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ in his great mercy. He has given us new birth into what? A living hope. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you and for me, for all of us. Jesus defeated death and rose again three days after his crucifixion, which is the Easter story. He demonstrated and proved that he really is who he claimed to be. God in the flesh. And because of that, he really does have the power to fulfill the promises found in the pages of the Bible. Promises to transform us, to redeem us, to restore our lives. Promises to guide us. Promises to walk with us when circumstances say anything but. When life doesn't go the way we planned, he is there. Promises that Jeremiah wrote about, that God is faithful. That his love never fails, never ends. That his mercy never ends and it's new every single day. Yeah, I, I came across this quote, and I, I don't know what it is about it. I hope it grabs you the same way it grabbed me, because there's, there's hope in it. And it, it goes like this. It says, hope is much like a cat in the dark. You only know it's there by the reflection in its eyes, which means there is light nearby. That light, that hope, is Jesus Christ. Yeah, I don't know where you find yourself this morning. And I hope you didn't take this message as just a platitude, like, hey, you know, just have hope and it'll be, all be fine. It's not that easy. And, and that's not what I mean by this, but this is where we can place our hope. And so wherever you find yourself this morning, if you're facing a situation that just, you can't see the end of the tunnel, it just seems bleak and endless, you see no way out, I want you to be encouraged. Encourage that the creator of the universe, the same God that created you, dreamt you up, brought you into existence, loves you more than you could ever even begin to imagine. And he is there with you. And he desperately wants you to allow him to love you. So he can begin to heal and restore and redeem the broken places. And so you can can experience the continuous, eternal, never-ending, rock-solid hope that will never, ever let you down. And if you need time to think about that, talk it through, pray about it, we've got a prayer team right next door in Theater 5. You can go during the singing of the songs after the service. They would love to meet with you. You can go in there by yourself. But if that's what you need, please take advantage of that. There is hope that can be found in one place only. And around here, we believe that's in Jesus. Really glad you're here with us on this journey. Let's pray. God, sometimes uh, life can just come at us so fast and, and the things that we were hoping for to come through for us. Um, and it can be the simple things, uh, you know, securing a job or a position, a place in, the, in school or, or closing the deal on our first home, whatever it happens to be. And when we get, we place all our hopes on that and it doesn't fall through and we get disappointed and we, we just begin to get jaded and we feel hopeless. My prayer is, You know, for me, for all of us, that we would do what Jeremiah did and remember, remember 
to place our hope in you. The place that will, it will always be rock solid. It's never going anywhere. And it will see us through to the very end. Thank you for loving us and providing that hope for us. And we pray this in your name. Amen.